When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome to the next episode of the Turn to the Podcast. And today we actually finally have some live tennis to review. We also have the Australian Open qualifying predictions to record. So this is a very exciting one. And uh, without further ado, I think we could just start at the biggest event that we've had this week, which was, of course, the Canberra 125. And that title was won by Dominic Kepfer over Jakub Menschik in the final. So starting from Kepfer, uh, he was the top seed in Canberra. Pretty much the only tough, uh, tough encounter that he had along the way was in the in the semifinals against Gabriel Diallo. He won that one 6-7-7-5-6-3, but he was as briefly, like very briefly, as set in a breakdown. So it wasn't easy, definitely not, but he claims another challenger title. Um, last year, of course, he had an excellent like 33-10, I think, challenger win-loss record. Really strong and um, won two titles. So this is just sort of further going down that road. Uh, a player who I think after he reached the top 50, we weren't really expecting that when he falls back down, he was going to climb back so easily, but he's done it. And uh, the final was actually a really good showing. You know, Menchik was overwhelming his opponents the whole week with that um, insane sort of weight of shots that he has. But Kepfer, I mean, he both stood up to him, absorbed the power, but also you could see a lot of points he actually dominated. And you know, finished off with that blitzing backhand, for example. Um, Kefir is just such a weird beast, right? Sometimes he has this horrific performance from time to time, like the final against Drax in Calgary at the end of last year. But he also, on his day, is very clearly a top 100 player. And this was a, a tough uh, road to the title, absolutely. I mean, Svaida, Vavasori, Kofen, Diallo, Menchik, uh, that's absolutely stacked, but that was the draw in Canberra, really. Um, then we also have Jakub Menchik, as I said, the finalist, 18 years old. Um, I think I was during the offseason saying a few times that I would sort of expect him to make a big jump once he comes back. I don't know if we've fully seen it yet, but this is a huge result for him, of course. He actually had it kind of easy compared to most players in Canberra because he had to beat Benjamin Hassan and Denis Yevseyev in the first two rounds, then got a walkover from Alexander Richard. And then um, in the semis, he defeats Brandon Nakashima. That's where the easy draw stopped, of course. And that was a pretty fabulous performance as well from the youngster. Uh, Nakashima, you know, constantly beating challenger-level players recently with just how deep, how hard he hits the ball every single time. Menchik not only matches that, Menchik tops that. And uh, yeah, just a little disappointed of his showing in the final. And by the way, very nice fun fact. Jakub Menchik now has two challenger finals both against Dominic Kepfer. One he won in straights, one he lost in straights. Uh, of course, that one, that one that he won was in Prague in uh, last year, in around May. Uh, Kepfer is in the Australian Open Major, of course, and Menchik will have to play the qualifying, where I will already spoil it for you. He's playing Brandon Nakashima again in round one, which is pretty crazy. 
Speaking of Nakashima, semifinals here. I think I've said it many times as well during the offseason that I fully expect a top 100 return from Brandon next year. It's just that I'm not sure he's going to do anything more, right? That, that sort of explosive potential we once thought he might have. Yeah, on the tour, he never really showed it on the main tour. And now I just sort of expect him to be back in the top 100, but be at like a very solid, stable level, but without anything crazy. But anyway, of course, uh, this is already a decent start to the year. He beat Miller, Prismich, Skullkite. And by the way, he saved like four match points against Alexander Miller in the opening round. So this very easily could have been an opening round loss. Then again, Nakashima Miller right now, it's like a main tour match. So, you know, it wouldn't be a shock either. Prismich, he totally dominated. It was a very poor performance from the other uh, very talented 18-year-old. 18-year-old, obviously, other referring to Magic. And Gabriel Diallo, the fourth semi-finalist, he was actually my pick for the title. Um, can't be too disappointed. He defeated Juan Manuel Serundolo, Rudolf Molecker, Matteo Gigante, and lost to Kepfer. As I stated earlier, he had a set and a break lead, although very briefly, so it also wasn't like he choked completely. But I still think it's a very fine performance from Diallo, and he gave himself some good momentum ahead of the Australian Open qualifying. So I'm perfectly satisfied with how he did, despite him not picking up a point for me. When it comes to the doubles, though, uh, the, that was picked up by the two friends, Daniel Rincon, Abdullah Shelbike, so the uh, Rafa Nadal Academy duo. They defeated Joransson and Olivetti in the final. A bit of a surprise, I guess, both the final, also the fact that they defeated Italco Rodriguez. Uh, but, you know, they, we know they have very good team chemistry, right? So uh, perhaps it, it shouldn't be that much of a shock. They also defeated Demoliner Stevens in the quarters, so another very good win over a... Uh, an experienced pairing, maybe not with each other, but still a couple of excellent doubles specialists. Uh, then we go to Numea, uh, the Challenger 100, of course, in New Caledonia. And uh, that was actually claimed by Artur Cazot, the fifth seed. And that was my pick for the title. So this is the first one that I got right this year. Hopefully many, many more coming, but we will see how it goes. And uh, yeah, I think Kazo um, only really had one scary moment, but it was proper scary. It was like proper scary against Patrick Kevson in the second round. 3-6, uh, 2-4 down. He manages to fight back. It doesn't have to save a match point, but it is like a crazy 9-7 second set tiebreak where he has all the set points but keeps blowing them. Uh, but after that, he was much cleaner. He defeats Benoit Pair in the quarters at the loss of just three games. And he defeats Arul Mayo as well in the semis. That was a rematch for the 2020 Australian Open Juniors final. Um, I think this time it was just pretty clear from the get-go, even though it went to two tiebreaks, who is like, for whom it is easier to dictate, who, for whom it is easier to get three points. Kazo, I think, played a very aggression, uh, aggressive version of his game as well. And uh, that's something that maybe was missing a little bit in the second half of the year in 2023. I think particularly when he doesn't have the serve advantage or like the serve is neutralized, he's kind of struggling maybe sometimes to stay on top of the point. If he can do it more effectively, that would be a big boost to his chances. And uh, also worth to mention that Kazo had to, has to defend like, well, he won't, def he won't be trying to defend it, but he was in the final and won a title in Nontaburi um, last year in two of these events, right? He won the second one, he lost in the final of the third round to Shoshima Bukuro. So this doesn't fully cover it, but it actually makes up for a lot of these points. So um, yeah, that's absolutely great for him. I do think that overall, 
it's possible that we will have a top 100 debut for him. I did include him on my on my list. And uh, yeah, I'm really hoping for this to be the case as I'm still excited by his prospects, even if the second half of 2023, you could probably argue that he was a touch exposed at the challenger level. Uh, and then the finalist was actually Enzo Quaco. And speaking of the final, it was just 53 minutes. Uh, I think Quaco, uh, given that he played, and he has Brauer in this very long semi-final, earlier Gaston as well. I think he was just tired, you know, I think, I think he was just fatigued and he couldn't really match the intensity that Kazo has. He couldn't really sort of respond to his power. So in the end, it was just a really dominant victory for the younger of the two Frenchmen. Quaco uh, still a final. I mean, he's going to hope to recover for the Australian Open. In recent times, he's been like one of the most dominant Grand Sam Qualis players. Obviously, in 2023, he was also the only player to take a set of Novak Djokovic at the Australian Open, which is a pretty crazy feat. So he can't be too angry about that loss in the final. I mean, he clearly just didn't have it physically on uh, Saturday. Saturday, because only Oirash finished on Sunday this week. Um, the rest of the, the other three challengers finished on Saturday. Um, when it comes to... Um, yeah, when it comes to the semi-finalists, we've had, as I said, Arul Mayo. Uh, I think Mayo, uh, he actually, oh, by the way, this is important to mention that Mayo during the week, along with, uh, now, now this, is a sec this is the second player I think that I've seen on Twitter talking about it, criticized the new changes by the ATP when it comes to the round-by-round -round point distribution on the circuit. And basically, he said that after beating Blanchet, Lestien, De Jong, he only gets like, you know, ba barely gets points, basically making the semis, which I think he kind of has a point. Like, the more I think about these new breakdowns, I sort of think that maybe just upping it at the ATP level was okay and just let it stay down at the challengers. That would, that would uh, just let it stay the same at the challengers. Maybe that would already be enough incentive for the players to play the ATP tour. Um, sort of combined, it seems a bit like overkill to me. Numea at least is a challenger 100, but in a challenger 75, for example, getting to the semis is now 22 points. Yeah, it, it, it's rough. I, I have to say that I understand the position that uh, that Mayo has regarding this, and uh, we will sort of have to see how this works in actually, like you know, in practice. But um, I, I get what he means. I get that he's a little disappointed that. For a run like this, in a pretty stacked challenger, he's not getting, you know, the the, the amount of points that he feels like was um, probably uh, applicable was probably going to be like, uh, yeah, re respectable for that sort of a run. Uh, anyway, um, we've already covered that topic, of course, a lot during the off season. We also had Hies Brauer, and this is important. This is a bit of a fun fact to mention as well. Numea was like a very heavily French challenger. We've had 50% of the players in the main row playing under the French flag, which is crazy. 16 out of 32. And in the quarterfinals, we only had Jesper de Jong and Hies Brauer. In the semifinals, we only had uh, Hies Brauer when it comes to uh, foreign players. Both of them, of course, Dutch. So uh, it ended up being a very French-heavy event, but with a draw like this, uh, what else would you really expect here? Um, by the way, let me, let me mention this now, because later on I might forget. We also had a top 100 debut this week, and uh, that was Thomas Barrios Vera. He didn't play a challenger. He also sort of didn't play an ATP Tour event. 
He played the United Cup, only appeared in the mixed, so he actually didn't get any points. Uh, but all the players around him sort of started dropping, and yeah, that's that's how he makes it into the top 100. Um, this is the first point I got correct when it comes to the 2024 top 100 debut list. Seems like it was really easy, but I actually wondered if I should include him because he was already dropping a final in January, and um, yeah, his most recent form wasn't really convincing. I also think that probably after the spring he's not gonna remain in the top 100. But given that um, you know what we know right now, and um, yeah, the fact that so many points, uh, so many players around him were dropping points. Uh, it would have been very stupid for me not to include him, but I guess I just wasn't aware of the fact that the point situation is actually even much better than it looks. He was about 10 points out, so that's why I figured, okay, I mean, I, I kind of have to, but at the same time, it turns out that it was pretty much automatic or like, you know, with some crazy results, he wouldn't have gotten in. So uh, kudos to him, of course, he did a lot in the first half of 2023 to justify it. Later on, though, his season definitely fell apart, and I think much of that was actually pressure that he put on himself for, yeah, in order to get this achievement to make the main draw of slams. Um, he is, I think, the third seed of Australian Open qualifying now, so he didn't quite uh, get into the Australian Open. He will be fighting for the French, but as I said, he is going to actually have to defend quite a lot of points for that to happen, so uh, we'll see how that goes for him and whether he's able to reach these 2024 or 2023 heights. Um, yeah, I guess from Numea, that's it when it comes to the singles. Uh, we also, of course, had the uh, doubles title, which was, uh, well, we almost had a, another title for Toshihide Matsui, who was playing with Padergill. But in the end, it's, uh, it's Colin Sinclair and Rubin Statham. Colin Sinclair, of course, is one of the very few islanders in this in this event because Numea is held in New Caledonia, the French overseas territory. Uh, Sinclair is playing for the Northern Mariana Islands, uh, so you know a similar part of the world. I guess other another, but like a proper um, local player is always Maxime Chazal at this event, who is from New Caledonia but uh, plays under the French flag, of course. And um, yeah, that's it for Numea, the Challenger 100 that we had. We also have a Challenger 75. Basically, four different categories were represented on the Challenger Tour in the opening week. So let's get to Nontaburi, very famous venue in recent years, of course, at the Challenger level, hosting a ton of these. Um, usually, there are some wild results and a lot of qualifier success over the years. And this is no different here. So actually... Um, the um, qualifiers still went very deep in Nuntaburi, and in fact, two of them met, met in the final, Valentin Vachereau and Luca Pui. So starting from Vachereau, who won the title, he, this is his second challenger title, and he actually picks up his first title, uh, I mean, his second title in Nuntaburi as well, because in 2022, he won one of these uh, Nuntaburi events. It was the first one, I think. In, in 2022, it was uh, three uh, weeks, three qualifiers were champions. So it was uh, Vachereau, Cazo, and Parker. By the way, for Cazo, that Numea title was his third, and his first outside Nontaburi as well. Uh, of course, this week, uh, the, the, he actually chose Numea because he's wanted to be closer to Australia, where he has a reciprocal major wildcard from the French Federation. Anyway, uh, Valentin Vachereau, speaking of him, I think last year he proved a few times that like he's much better than the 25k level in general, or maybe like at least a bit better. 
but he wasn't really able to make it in challengers in the long run. Maybe this is the start of something new. Of course, he has the weaponry, the former college, college player for, I think, Texas A&M, uh, just like uh, Rinderneck, for example, um, certainly plays like a bit of a basic style of aggressive baseline tennis. But um, yeah, the weaponry is there, not going to lie. And maybe he can get into slam qualifying now. He is in a position that would warrant it. We'll see if he remains there uh, by the French. Uh, and when it comes to his run, oh, by the way, he saved three match points against Francesco Passaro in the quarterfinals. So I think it's a bit of a theme that, you know, you cannot really win a challenger in, um, like, completely straightforward fashion unless, you know, it's some really, um, you know, extreme examples. But uh, basically this week all of all four winners were in deep, deep trouble at some point. Uh, Kepfer down a set and a break to Diallo. Kazo down uh, 3-6 to 4 to Kipson, Passaro, sa- uh, sorry, pa- Passaro Vashro saving three match points against Passaro, and we're going to get to Ayrash where it was even crazier. But yeah, anyway, um, Vashro ended up reaching the final where he played Luka Pui, and Luka Pui, I mean, it's just such a shame, you know. Uh, last year, of course, he played just like 20-something matches. He hasn't really had a full season since like 2019. And the big shame about it is that anytime he looks decent, anytime he fires up for a, for a couple of matches, the body just gives up at some point. And that was the case here because um, until the final he wasn't playable. Uh, only uh, one time he lost four, four games in a set. Most of the time it was like 6-3, 6-2, 6-2, 6-3, He beat guys like Oliveira, Tseng, Onklem, Hong. And then he lost to Vashro. Uh, fifth game, uh, sorry, well, after the fifth game, sixth game, he's serving. He, at one point, uh, doesn't even start tracking down a lob from Vashro. He grabs his back. He takes an impromptu mid-game medical timeout. But then he cannot even serve anymore. And uh, he also withdrew from the next event in Nontaburi. So, well, we'll see if he's back in Europe in a couple of weeks' time where he's scheduled next. But this is absolutely horrible, of course, that... Whenever this guy is back, uh, something happens instantly. In fact, his last three events now finished with retirements. And I'm talking of Wimbledon and also the challenger in Rennes in September. So um, as you can see, he's, it's not like he's playing every week, every month. In fact, he's not even playing. So um, yeah, it's a big shame because, of course, the former world number 10 uh, has still like one of the most clean, aggressive set of ground strokes, I guess. And uh, yeah, it's just a massive shame we can't really see it in full flight and haven't seen it in full flight since forever, it seems. And when it comes to the semi-finalists in Nontaburi, we had Yusuf Su starting his year on a pretty high note. Uh, but once he ran into Vashro, he actually managed to hold up pretty okay. Um, 6-3, 7-6. He defeated Holt along the way, Valkus, and also took a um, retirement win over Chunsin Tseng. And the other semi-finalist as well, kicking off his season in a pretty in pretty nice style. But it has to be said that he was also a qualifier. So he had three qualifier semi-finalists. And um, Hong actually won his first five matches in this event in three sets. Four of them from a, from a set down. He beat Hart, Habib, Lyal, and Sharipov from a set down. Only Pierre Igerber he managed to beat in three sets as well, but after winning the first set. Uh, then, of course, Luca Pui, uh, he was one of the victims of peaking Pui this week and, um, yeah, couldn't really stand a chance against him. But um, we all know how it ended for the uh, Frenchman in the 
um, in the in the final. Anyway, when it comes to the doubles, we had Arthur Ferry and Joshua Paris claiming the title. Ferry, interestingly, didn't play singles this week. He only played doubles and won the title. But he's going to be back in singles very soon. In fact, next week <laughs> or this week when you're listening to it, uh, to this show more or less. And uh, when it comes to my pick for the title in Nontaburi, I didn't do well here. I went with Denis Novak, uh, the top seed, although with very little confidence. And he lost to Evgeny Donskoy in the opening round. Then Donskoy uh, ended up losing to Onkleu. Then Onkleu ended up losing to Pui. So, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it just wasn't a great pick, let's be honest. Uh, but uh, we also have one more challenger to cover, which is the OERASH Challenger 50. As I said, four different categories represented on the Challenger Tour this week. And um, the champion in OERASH is actually someone you know pretty close to my heart, I guess, in Max Kashnikowski, the 20-year-old Paul who managed to make his maiden Challenger final in Ortisei at the end of last year, missed two match points against Lukas Klein, and the match points were also the theme for him this week, although in a little bit of a different way than you would expect. Or actually, maybe not that you would expect, but in a different way than in Ortisei. Basically, Max in the opening round uh, faced six match points, six match points against Adrian Andreev in the second set tiebreak. The quality wasn't too high. Most of these were like gifts from Andreev. There, there was one that Max played very well, uh, finished it off with a volley that Andreev even questioned whether it was in. I think from the stream it, it, it's pretty clearly in though. And after that one, Max really loosened up for the rest of the week, you know. And um, I've said it a few times, but I think his game has so far, at least at the challenger level, you know, the higher the competition standard is, his game has actually looked much better when it's faster. And especially when he's using that well, like when he's using that to get more pop on his serve and strokes and not feeling rushed. Because after um, having a great run in Calgary and Tramontville at the end of 2022, Max went uh, then in June, for example, flew to the States, right, to Little Rock, Palmas del Mar, and etc. And that didn't go to plan at all. So it's a thin line, I suppose, for him, uh, whether the court will be too quick for him or just good enough. Uh, but anyway, uh, here, I think he, again, played that very aggressive version of himself, which has been, uh, of his game, which has been very prominent, especially since he started wor uh, started working with Alexander Bure, the former Top 100 doubles player, I think about in July last year. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to see this title for him. Uh, hopefully, it's going to be a better season than last year, because other than Ortisei, he kind of had zero highlights at the challenger level in 2023. Uh, the main thing is whether he can get to Grand Slam qualifying, I think. That was clearly the goal for him for this year, to be in Melbourne. That didn't pan out. But uh, yeah, in 2024, I think, again, this sort of becomes the main question, whether he can get to Grand Slam qualifying. We haven't we haven't had anyone playing Grand Slam qualifying in, in a few slams already on the, you know, in, in, in Poland, actually. Kasper Zhuk was probably the one, last one because Michalski still hasn't been there. Kashnikovsky still hasn't been there. Uh, Kamil Markshak, well, before he was banned, he was uh, mostly playing main draw. So actually, we haven't had anyone in quite a while. And it's a shame because that makes the event even even more fun, you know, for, for us, for tennis fans from Poland to, to follow, for me as well. Uh, but yeah, maybe Max can do it now. And uh, this was certainly a very, very strong run from him.
Um, Gastao Elias was the finalist, and Gastao Elias is just such a wild story. We talked about it many times with, uh, with Jakub as well, that before the pandemic, he actually didn't really have any major results in Portugal. Like on home soil, he wasn't actually going that well ever. But then the pandemic comes, he comes back from it. I mean, he, everyone comes back from it. There's the, rest, there's the tour restart. And he suddenly starts dominating every single possible um, Portuguese event. Like out of his last six challenger finals, this one included, five have come in Oeiras. Although the rest of them were on clay. Uh, also, I have to mention that this was just the second hardcore challenger final of Elias's career and the first one indoors. Despite that, he actually held up very well against Kashnikovsky in the final as well. I think he was definitely like the more flashy player. We all know how um, beautiful the Gastel Elias forehand can be when he's in like full flight. But uh, in the end, I think what really made a, lo- a big difference was like, that Max just had more on every shot, you know, more depth, more pace. It was heavier. And uh, the, the sort of difference of temperaments there, I think it, it actually worked out for Max very well. Of course, Gasta Elias uh, also was like really inspired by the, by the crowd, uh, with, who I think have been a, a major factor in his recent career surge when it comes to playing on home soil. <laughs> But uh, yeah, very cool, very cool story for him to make a challenger final indoors. Obviously, that's not really something that I was expecting ever, because it that didn't seem like that's gonna be uh, a possibility really for him. Uh, but anyway, he he did it. And when it comes to the semi-finalists, we've got Valentin Royer. I am very glad to see this run as well. I think a few times on the challenger show there was an opportunity to mention the 22-year-old who just should be better, should be getting better results than he is, in my opinion. And I'm glad that at the end of the year, he was also finally able to like produce a lot at the challenger level. He even won four, four IT, sorry, at the ITF level. He even won four ITF titles in 2023. So yeah, hopefully uh, he can get some uh, bigger runs on the challenger tour this year. And in fact, this is what the challenger 50 format is for, right? This is what the challenger format, challenger 50 format excels at like bringing these players to light. So someone who has been dominant at the lower level, but now has to find something just with slightly higher, um, slightly better competition, is kind of struggling to do it in 75s, but this might be like the perfect level for him. And I think Valentin actually showed it that, um, yeah, he's definitely a player that falls into that, that category a little bit. He beat Broom, Gray, Lamazine, and then lost to Kashnikovsky in straights. And the other semi-finalist was Egor Gerasimov, who I think also falls into that category in a different way, because of course he's had his time in the sun. He was in the top 100 once. But I think at the end of 2023, some of his ITF results, especially the ones that he got in Asia, clearly showed that he still has some quality at least. But uh, he's also like just, yeah, struggling to break through again. So again, the Challenger 50 format really he, he falls into it into that puzzle very well. Um, although his run was like very wild as well with the, all the free setters that he played against Pavelski, Jones, Borg, Kwiatkowski, but then eventually losing in another free setter to Kastao Elias in the semifinals. Still, that was a, a very fun event. I think the streaming was working the best that it's been so far. Oh, I, I don't know if we've talked about it. I guess we haven't, but um, also there's been a lot of changes with the streaming. You probably have seen it. The ATP website in general, after the graphic um, the update, is pretty horrible, I think. Lots of info that was very openly 
available before now has to be taken off other websites or like requires 10 clicks to get to. So that's one thing. On the other hand, uh, the only thing that looks really neat right now is Challenger TV. I just wish it was more functional. Uh, there are some improvements like the 10 second rewind button, which will be really helpful when trying to rewind, uh, trying to rewatch a match for sure. However, the replays in most of these events in the first week, they weren't working. Oirash was actually the one who was definitely the most functional. There were also some other bugs with uh, Nontaburi, Numea uh, streams, like uh, the fact that sometimes just midway through the match, uh, they would start, um, like they, it would the, the stream would jump back to a previous point from a match and would basically stay there for like a minute and then would be like jumping back and forth between different moments of the match with the same points still being shown. So basically rendering the stream unwatchable. Uh, I have notified someone uh, about it. I don't know what they're going to do uh, with it, but you know the, the technicians of the ATP Challenger Tour have been informed of that. So hopefully this will be sorted out and also hopefully the replays will be back like in, in a fully function functional manner. Uh, because for example, Nakashima Miller uh, was a match that I really wanted to see on uh, replay but I wasn't able to because it was just broken. It literally just said the stream has ended uh, at the end of the, uh, like instead of the, instead of giving you the replay, it showed the, the stream, is, the stream has ended. But Oirash, to be honest, was probably the best out of these all um, tournaments in terms of that. And also the quality has improved. The streaming quality has improved, which I think some people were really yearning for. Uh, personally, I didn't really care all that much for it, but I, I understand that for a lot of people, it was maybe, something that was um, turning them away from Challenger Tennis. So I'm hoping that uh, that um, this sort of um, uh, excuse is just not going to be available for uh, all these guys anymore. So um, yeah, what I'm going to uh, do now... Oh, oh sorry, Oirash, when it comes to the champion, uh, I'm sorry, to my, to my winner pick and also the doubles. So uh, in, the, uh, in the winner picks, I actually ended up going for the Gabriel de Bru, which was maybe a little stupid, but then again, just like in Nontaburi, I just had no idea what to do, really. So I ended up going for the Bru, who lost to Alastar Gray in the opening round pretty easily. I didn't know that Gray was going to be the qualifier that he was going to face. Would that have changed my mind? I'm not sure. I honestly can't tell you, but I wouldn't have picked Kashnikovsky mostly because of that tough quarter that he was in with Andreev Souza. Uh, Andreev, of course, he ended up saving six match points against, and then Joao Souza, he actually beat pretty comfortably. So, um, yeah, that's great. And Joao Souza, by the way, uh, because um, as all, as usual, from Portuguese challengers, we get a lot of good content. There's this uh, YouTube channel that uploads the press conferences, uh, and it was a bit of a, a Twitter uh, viral sort of post from uh, Rosa Morgado, who um, sort of mentioned that Max is favorite uh, players, Max's tennis idols, are João Souza, whom he beat, and Bernabe Zapata Mirales, and how it's like a bit of a hipster thing. Um, I, I don't know about Souza, like, of course, of course, uh, Max said it, so it, it, it's true, like, I've never really heard him talking about, about Souza, but Bernabe Zapata Mirales, I can tell you that he mentions him all the time. He just loves his great work ethic, which makes sense, right? I mean, if you're gonna sort of idolize Bernabe Zapata Mirage for something, I think the the way he's just so humble and just like a really quiet, hardworking professional, 
uh, not quiet on the court because there he has a lot of um, sort of clownery and and uh, the weird uh, crazy antics, right? But um, off the court, I think it's just pretty clear that yeah, he's just a humble, hardworking guy. So I I can totally get that. And when it comes to the doubles, it's another title for the legend Marcus Willis, this time alongside Jay Clark, and they defeated Theo Aribaje and Michael Hertz in the final. Um, yeah, I mean, so good. Marcus Willis won his maiden challenger title, if you guys remember, at the end of last year. It was a fairly big story for a challenger doubles story, <laughs> because usually these don't get too much traction, so this one was actually pretty huge. Of course, Marcus Willis, if someone doesn't know, just read about his 2016 Wimbledon run, and this will really uh, tell you everything that you want to know. Also, Google his RV, RV Cola and uh, sneakers or whatever the, the bar or the chocolate bar was um, that he was eating mid-match during an American Challenger. Um, but yeah, such a such a great story that he's now suddenly, after a few years of basically a break from the professional tour, he is um, an absolute threat on the Challenger circuit. And whether it's with Scott Duncan or whether it's with Jay Clark, it didn't really matter. Now he has two challenger titles. So yeah, uh, when it comes to match and upset of the week, now it's time for that. Uh, match of the week, I, as usual, uh, posted poll on Twitter. And what's leading right now, I think mostly due to the finals factor, if you may, is uh, Kashnikovsky against Eliash in Oirash. I thought of picking Kashnikovsky Andreev also from that event, but um, I ended up just choosing quality over drama. I think Kashnikovsky Andreev was mostly dramatic, but actually wasn't that good. Whereas, yeah, the final was, was pretty cool. Uh, but myself, I am voting for a match from Canberra. I think there are a few good picks here as well. School Kate Mo was nice. Also, Kepfer Diallo. The other semi as well, despite being straight sets, Menshik Nakashima. And Nakashima Miller, which I only watched like a 10-minute highlight of. Um, but I can't. I guess I can't really pick it, even though I put it in the poll as the Canberra option. So I'm just going to go with Menchik Nakashima, the semi-final. Straight sets, but really good quality, and just the clash of two players like this, I think, is is extremely exciting. And that's why it's good that they're going to face each other in the uh, Australian Open qualifying as well. We're, we're going to get to that really soon after the previews. And uh, yeah, after the previews, I'm just going to make my Australian Open qualifying predictions. But anyway, we also need to do the upset of the week. So Menshikova Nakashima actually had a very high um, had very high odds on it, but that doesn't make any sense. I hope I hope everyone realizes that. Um, School Kate over Mo, yeah, I also don't think that was this huge at least. Uh, but yeah, I think we cannot really escape from another Canberra one. I will just glance through the other events to see if there was anything else, but I think it's a very clear. Very, very clear Canberra pick. Yeah, Grenier also lost in Numea to a fairly random player, but no, I mean, it's Uko Grenier. I, I didn't really consider him a strong favorite against almost anyone right now at the challenger level, I think. There was a moment, of course, when he would have been, but not really in the last like few months or so. Although maybe in an outdoor hardcore challenger. Maybe. But yeah, Canberra, Pavle Marinkov, uh, top 40 Australian junior beating Luca Nardi, 6-4-6-1. I didn't watch the match, so I'm picking it sort of blindly. I don't know if Nardi was maybe hurt or something. But this was a match that just you know shook me to my core. <laughs> and uh, especially maybe in combination with the fact that Marinkov only took one game of Matteo Gigante in the next round. It does look very weird when you're just scrolling through the results of this event right now. 
but well, maybe we'll know more in the future about how Pavle Marinkov is actually a, a great talent. He's going to be in the Australian Open qualifying as well, so uh, you know there could be an opportunity there already to, to watch that guy. Anyway, when it comes to the previews, we have just three challengers coming up next week, two 75s, 150. Two of them are going to be held at the same venues that already held the challenger this year. So let's start with Nontaburi. We have some changes here uh, with um, Denis Novak, the top seed, playing Daniel Michalski in the opening round. Michalski coming over from United Cup, although obviously he did not even compete, neither in the mix or the singles. And uh, one of them will face then Kassidit Samre or Vishaya Trongcharo and Chaikul, so a, duo, a battle of uh, Thai wildcards. Vashro, last week's champion, is playing the qualifier, and then Habib or Sandgren. Lucas Poulain is the third seed. That's pretty crazy, by the way, to see Lucas Poulain as the third seed in the challenger, but I guess with the ITF runs of last year, he did get very, very high in the rankings. And uh, he's going to play Salvatore Caruso, and then Nicolas David Yonel or Arthur Ferry. In that very same section, there's also Steven Diaz playing a qualifier and Henry Squire playing a qualifier. I love this bottom half with uh, bottom half section with Coleman Wong playing Chung Sin Tseng and then Bernie Tomic or Yasutaka Uchiyama. That's amazing. Donskoy faces Maximus Jones and then Uchida or a qualifier. Ipsid is Brandon, Brandon Holt playing Son Chan Hong, then Dominic Palan or Giovanni Fonio. And there's also this section of another two qualifiers and Manuel Guinard and Jason Jung. So, um, who am I picking here? Uh, when it comes to the qualifying, I don't think there's anything crazy. I'm excited to see how Ramkumar Ramanathan will do, because recently he's been winning ITFs, finally, because for a while in the summer he actually couldn't even win a match in like 15Ks. Now he's back. Uh, it seems a solid level, but you know these ITFs weren't streams, they weren't streamed, so I don't really know. Um, interesting match between Stefanos Sakaridis as well and Matija Pekotic. Sakaridis was surprisingly good at the United Cup, almost beating Jari. So uh, Sakaridis did end up beating Pekotic today and will play Takahashi in the final qualities round. Uh, but overall, probably no one that will threaten to win the title. Maybe Marat Sharipov, who was in the quarters last week, but first he needs to beat Ryo Noguchi. Um, so I'm only looking at a couple of players in the main draw, and I honestly ended up getting into this stream thinking, uh, stream, I mean, getting into the recording thinking I was going to pick Coleman Wong as a bit of a bold selection, given he's playing Tseng in the opening round. But uh, I'm actually going to go with Arthur Ferry. Um, as I said, he started his season from doubles only, not sure why. Maybe he was still, like, getting in shape or something, or maybe, I don't know, I don't actually know what the reason might be. But... Uh, let's go Arthur Ferry because he did win that doubles title. He's clearly, you know, at least in good enough shape to win a challenger doubles title. And I like his section a lot, you know, playing Yonel, then Caruso or Poulain, sort of weaponless players all round. Maybe Squire can be tough in the quarters, but um, yeah, I just love his quarter, quarter uh, the whole quarter really is, it looks really good for him. It is definitely easier than Coleman Wong's. And Wong's also, uh, Wong is also, of course, such a... Um, like up and down type of player with that hyper aggressive style. I did like his performance against Musetti in Hong Kong. It really wasn't uh, poor. I, I I think he did what I was expecting him to. Um, so yeah, basically my pick is going to be Arthur Ferry here. I actually think he has a very nice shot. I'm feeling pretty confident in this one, but we'll we'll see. Of course, he hasn't played a singles match this year yet, so I guess there's some at least to some degree we don't have the full info either. 
And uh, then when it comes to the second OERASH uh, event, this is now a 75, the first one was a 50. You can see it in the quality of the draw as well. And Alejandro Morocanas, maybe not, not the top seeds, but the quality of the, like the depth of the field. Alejandro Morocanas is the top seed playing Aidan, Aidan Mayo, then Holmgren or Neukrist. We've got Martino Jonvier as well in this section, and Andreev, who, of course, wasted these six match points against Kashnikovsky and see where Max landed playing a qualifier. Joao Souza, the third seed, is going to play Justino or, or a qualifier in the second round, the first round also a qualifier. This is really interesting because Martin Dam is the sixth seed playing Michael Hertz, and he could play Paul Jab in the second round, uh, who faces Thiago Pereira. Jab Dam would be a match that I really want to see. Jab lost to Joao Souza last week which I think was a perfectly fine result, of course. He's sort of getting back to the challenger level after all of these injury issues. Leandro Riedi, uh, Riedi, or Riedi shows up in uh, with um, his seeded eighth. He plays a qualifier, then a qualifier of Jaime Faria. Faria actually went to the quarters last week, important to note. Oscar Otte is the fourth seed, and he's playing Alvarez Varona in this battle of two players who have been struggling with injuries as well. Uh, one of them can face Dalavale or a qualifier in the second round. We've got Cem Ilkel as the fifth seed playing a special exempt in Gastao Eliash. Probably Eliash should be favored, not gonna lie. And uh, then we also have Ethan Queen playing Joao Dominguez. And the bottom section is also quite interesting. Borg Kashnikovsky. Borg Kashnikovsky was a match in Oeirash last year when Max reached that first challenger final. Max has a special exempt here as well. And the bottom has uh, the bottom section here has Enrique Rocha with the second second seeded playing Valentin Royer. And the thing is that last week I remember talking about the fact that Rocha, like he seems a bit overranked for what he has been able to do so far at the challenger level, but that's mostly because he was just a beast in ITFs. I think that sort of got confirmed with his loss to Kwiatkowski. Now he also faces a very tough opponent in Royer. But anyway, when it comes to the winner selections, I don't think the bottom quarter will really be touched by me because it just looks too strong. And um, yeah, the qualifying, though, I still don't have the results here in the PDF, so I will have to check them on like flash score or whatever. Um, I haven't been, um, I haven't had the time to follow like any qualifying today. There was too much other stuff still early on. But we have Alduk Celik be like in the second round. Gerasimov is playing fun slow. Um, a few interesting players for sure, Tristan Lamazine, Marius Kopil, Verbenski, who also had a decent run in Canada at the end of last year. So yeah, the qualifying is actually quite strong as well. So who am I picking here? I do not really have a clue. Um, I like that second quarter for like a Dam or Souza pick, but then again, uh, Dam plays Jab potentially in the second round. I don't really enjoy that. Um, because from the other quarters, it's like very hard to pick someone. I could just go Reedy, but we all know how he ended his 2024 campaign and uh, 2023 campaign, and I'm scared that he's gonna be playing like this again this year. So um, for now, I'm not touching him. Maybe I will change my mind sort of during the course of the year. It's possible. So I think I'm gonna go with Joao Souza. He lost to Max in the quarters. He was absolutely fine. He plays a qualifier, then Justino or a qualifier, that seems easy enough. I think uh, from time to time he sh still shows flashes of that top 100 quality, so tough quarter against Jab or Dam, but the first two rounds I kind of like. So yeah, my pick here is going to be Joao Souza. I'm wondering if there's any, uh, you know, if, if I can make any correlation between my picks, I guess, but 
most of the time. Well, I guess it was the same quarter, but Artur Ferri, Joao Souza, there's no real way, I think, to, to make this into, into a theme among my winner picks. So yeah, let's go to Buenos Aires then, which is the last challenger we have. It's a challenger 50 as well. And um, it's actually pretty strong for a 50, I think. You've got a very different set of players, of course, than in, uh, than in Europe. And even the qualifying has a lot of interesting names, which I'll get to. But first and foremost, Lucas Neumayer is the top seed playing Carlos Sanchez Hover. Then we've got that very dangerous Alvaro Guillen Meza playing Gianluca Mager. Gianluca Mager is a guy I don't think we've seen in a while, right? I mean, I have to check that because I just, you know, because I don't remember seeing him in a, any draw in a while, I guess he probably had a bit of a layoff or maybe he just wasn't doing well at all at the end of last year, but we'll see. Um, Guillen Meza, though, is a, is a very dangerous opponent. Of course, won a challenger last year, also a 58 in Lima, I think. And here we also have Joao Fonseca, the junior world number one, using his junior accelerator spot. Can we pick him to win this title? We're going to think about it in a while. But anyway, he starts against Felix Gil. Uh, there's also Murkel Derian playing Liam, Liam Drax. Drax playing here, that's pretty interesting, on clay in Buenos Aires. Uh, Tristan Boyer, top, uh, fourth seed, plays Juan Bautista Torres. And Casanova Orvais. We also have Nicolas Sanchez Izquierdo playing Timo Stoder. And Orlando Luz plays a qualifier. Uh, we have Renzo Olivo, the fifth seed, facing Luciano Emanuel Ambrogi. There's a very Argentinian-heavy section here in the third quarter, uh, where you've got Alex Parena playing a qualifier as well, Lautaro Midon, Juan Pablo Ficovic, and basically the only non-Argentinian player so, for, so far is Max Hokes. There will also be two more qualifiers added. Oleksi Krutik has a full section of qualifiers. He's the eighth seed, plays a qualifier, and then one of two qualifiers. And the bottom looks pretty strong and interesting as well with Sakamoto Taberner and Reis da Silva Lavagno. Reis da Silva Lavagno is like a similar player. That, that, these are similar players to me. Stupidly good forehands, but they cannot really... They don't know how to use it in a smart way, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but yeah, that, that could be very exciting as well. I think that's one of my favorite first rounds here. Uh, just like with Oerash, I actually have to look at the results to tell you who's already through. Oh, Mejia lost to Vankan. That's, that's quite surprising, I think. Uh, we've got Gonzalo Bueno in the second round already. Villanueva as well, uh, who, I'm, who I think could go deep here if he makes it, would be Gerard Campagnali. There's a couple of players I'm very excited to see because it's just a very random setting for them, it seems. Escobedo, for example, playing here on South American clay. Also, Leo Borg. Not a random setting for him. In fact, I think in the juniors he won a huge um, J1 event in Porto Alegre. But um, we sort of just haven't seen him in these events yet. And also Dimitri Popko. Uh, that, that could be quite exciting as well if he's playing well. But um, yeah, of course with Popko it's sometimes quite wild and tough to predict how he's going to do. And Gianluca Magar, uh, just to follow up, he hasn't played since August. So I was right that I... I hadn't seen him in a while. In fact, I just recently remembered about his existence because I was um, contemplating that Twitter feud that Ricky Dimon and Nick Kyrgios once had with the entire Twitter population when they were uh, sort of blaming Genu Kamaker for being 78th in the rankings, um, despite him you know, clearly editing that with a huge run in Rio and win over team. But anyway, uh, in the in the qualifying, these are these are more or less the most exciting players. I can't really tell you yet if they will come through, because only three matches have ended so far. 
And uh, yeah, who do I, who am I picking here? And my main instinct is Fonseca. I know it's early. I know it's a little stupid, like five good matches in a row. It's so tough. But you know what? I want to have fun with this. And, and I, I can promise you that if this was still a game, like if I was still, you know, battling Jakub for the points, I would still go Fonseca. I, I still very often went for picks like this which just seem fun to me. And I'm going to have the best possible time if Fonseca wins this event, honestly. Uh, it was similar like in Palmas del Mar last year when I picked Michael Zreng and he made the final. Like That was such an exciting uh, run for me to follow also because of that, you know, sort of adding that new layer. So I'm going to go with Fonseca. I don't care. Uh, I know the guy is very young. I know playing five matches in a row at this level even my, as this is pretty much weaker than most of the challengers that he's played. I mean, the guy in five challenger appearances, he's beaten Navone, Tirante, Kovacevic, and uh, Sebovit. So this is weaker, for sure. But still, playing five solid matches in a row for him right now could be a little tough. But it's not the worst draw ever, although I think that the third quarter is probably where he would, anyone would like to land at the moment, at least. Uh, maybe Midon will love it, maybe Fikovic will love it, maybe Max Hokas has a good week there. But anyway, Joao Fonseca, for me, uh, obvious uber talent. I would love to see uh, some big results from him. Uh, maybe he goes to college, maybe he doesn't, he's committed, but of course that can change if his results are big enough before then. College, of course, uh, he's also like aiming at like a one-year stint, not, about, not at the full four-year um, uh, stay there. But anyway, yeah, I'm going to try Joao Fonseca and just have a lot of good fun. I, I'll just have a lot of fun with it, you know. He loses to Felix Gil. I, it's not going to change my opinion about his potential. I'm going to be slightly disappointed, maybe more disappointed because I picked him as well. But um, yeah, I just want to have fun with this pick. And I think uh, Joao Fonseca has a theoretical chance of winning this title, you know. It, it's not the most outrageous pick in the world. Like, it's... It's not fully impossible. It's just a little hard for him at this stage of his career. But I think the time will come and the, the time will come when he's going to be winning a ton of these challengers. And not only challengers, of course. <laughs> the ultimate end goal for Fonseca is, needless to say, higher than this. And the last thing we have to do on the schedule today, the last thing we, we, need, to, um, we need to come up with is the Austrian Open qualifying predictions. So I'm just going to briefly go through every section now and um, tell you who I picked and why. And uh, yeah, that's really going to be it. In, in a week's time, I'm going to come back to review these selections as well. So starting from the first uh, section, first qualifier, um, you know, first, batch of, first batch of qualifiers, the first eight, we've got um, the, um, well, the top seed was supposed to be Quentin Alice, but he was moved into the main draw after someone withdrew. I think it was actually Nadal who let him in. And uh, now we have an alternate there. From what I remember, it should be Facundo Bagnis. But um, yeah, Facundo Bagnis on the hard court, I guess he doesn't really change our perception of this section at all. So we also have Aziz Dugas here, then Ryan Penniston playing Elias Imer. Hugo Blanchet facing Duja Idukovic and Dino Prismic playing Mariano Novona. Uh, I think the trendy pick on Twitter might be Dino Prismic, but as you guys probably know by now, I'm not as enamored with him yet. I think he, he needs quite a lot of progress to become like a you know full-on main tour player. So looking at the second maybe match here, as, uh, especially 
uh, Ryan Peniston, Elias Imer. I think it's a bit tricky, but I'm still going to go with Elias Imer. You know, one of the original Grand Slam Quali Scouts. Obviously, the main achievement that comes to mind was making it through the qualifying four times in a single season in 2015. But he's always done well in, in Grand Slam Qualies. So with Alice's withdrawal here, I definitely like Imer as my pick here. Uh, I probably would have gone for Alice if he was here, but despite the form, I, I would have still figured that he has the caliber of tennis to, to break through this uh, section. Second one, we've got Flavio Coporli playing Jeremy Jin, uh, then Jan Choinski playing Benjamin Hassan, Santiago Rodriguez Taverna against Antoine Escoffier, and Andrea Pellegrino against Jean-Bor Piroche. This one, on the other hand, I think is extremely unclear. I think there are um, literally eight possible options here. Well, maybe Jeremy Jin would be surprising. But if Jeremy Jin beats Fabio, Flavio Coboli, would, would you be shocked? I kind of wouldn't. So um, what am I going for here? I ended up picking Benjamin Hassan. Why? Um, of course, this is his first grandson qualifying. He has done it like after many years of... You know, trying to get to that level, he actually is very high, highly ranked at the moment, gained a lot of points since the US Open. Such a consistent season last year, I think he's definitely the best version of himself that he's ever been. Not really a guy I think will be breaking the top 100, but he belongs at that 150-ish level. And I think in this section, that right now might be enough. But as I said, there are at least seven possible options here. And um, yeah, there's no clear favorite here really. Neither Koboli nor Pirosh is that strong on hard courts. Probably Escoffier is the strongest one, but we all know that it hasn't been working out for him at the Grand Slam stage. And uh, if it was indoors, then I probably would have picked him. Hasan Hoinski, even in the opening round, this could be tough already for the, Leban the Lebanese player, but someone had to be picked here. So I kind of decided that, well, I'm going to give a bit of a shout out to Hasan for the progress that he's made, the quiet progress that he's made over the years. Third section, we've got Tomas Barrios Vera playing Giovanni Pecci Pericard, then Filip Misolic or Mark Andrea Hüsler. Mark Layal faces Uko Krenier, and then Yusu Su plays Maxim Kressi. Uh, this one is really strong, I think. There are a few really good names. Pecci Pericard, uh, Misolic, Hüsler, Layal, Kressi. All of these guys could be picked. I ended up going for Mark Layal because I just believe in his potential quite a lot. Uh, he was just okay in Nontaburi. He didn't set the world on fire, but he was also perfectly fine, I would say. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go with sort of who I like with the um, long-term prospects. I know Kresi got to an extremely high ranking. I know Hüsler did as well and won an ATP Tour title. I don't know if this is in Layal's future, but I just want to pick the player with like a, a pretty high upside that could be realized in the near future, I would say. But this is a very much a preference pick, I think, this third section as well. But not like the second one, where it's a little weak. This one is actually on the stronger side, for sure. Fourth section, we've got Hugo Gaston playing Buyun Chaokete, and then Baby Zhukayev or Nicolas Kiker. Enzo Kwako faces Kirion Joquet, and then Daniel Rincon plays Lloyd Harris. So Kwako, as I mentioned earlier, one of the goats of uh, Grandson qualifying in the last two years, but I don't really want to pick him. Like, he surprises me every time. If he surprises me, fine. Baby Zhukayev, my favorite. Uh, he should beat Kiker, right? And Buyu Chaoketa or Gaston, that's pretty easy for him, it seems as well. Like, pretty easy. That's very doable for him. That, that's what I meant. It's not pretty easy when you play Gaston. Well, it could be, depending on whether Gaston is mentally you know, ready or not. 
But anyway, I am picking Lloyd Harris. I know he struggled with his health recently quite a lot. But in Canberra, he looked healthy. He won a match. He lost to David Goffin in a semi-competitive battle. So I think if, if Harris is only like able to play at his best level, he is more than capable of qualifying through here. In fact, I think if Harris will be at like 90% of his abilities, this could be one of the most dominant qualifying sections even. But um, yeah, it's, it's tough to guess whether he will actually land a performance like this. Fifth qualifier section, Michael Moe plays Felipe Merigani Alves, then Raul Brancaccio faces Jesper de Jong. We've got Ricardo Bonadio facing Pavle Marinkov, that famous guy from the upsets of Lucanardi, and Hayden Jones plays Camilo Go Carabelli. So, uh, the bottom half of this section is like, wow, uh, probably the worst four players you're going to have in this section. You're going to find two Australian wildcards and then Bonadio and Ur Carabelli, who are pretty rough on hardcourts. Uh, I don't know who's going to make the third round, but I don't think they're going to make it through to the, to the main throw. So basically, I'm looking at De Jong and Mo. I think they are probably the stronger players in their respective matches. But why I chose Jesper De Jong? Meligeni Alves is probably closer to Mo right now than Brancaccio is to Jesper De Jong. And I also feel kind of guilty about not picking Jesper for a top 100 debut this year. Um, like I feel like that's one of the picks that could actually come back to bite me. So I want to at least give him something, uh, you know, get him here into the main draw. I hope he does it. Um, you know, he uh, we had him on the show last year, and both him and his coach were like extremely nice. So uh, it's a bit of a, you know, I like the guy, so I'm gonna pick him. But I think Mo De Jong, it's like no difference literally here who you're gonna pick. So um, these two are both absolutely viable, I think. The sixth section, we've got Pedro Martinez facing Francesco Passaro, then Oliver Crawford plays Ilya Ivashka, Filip Sekulic against Oriol Rokabataya, and Calvin Emery takes on Vitko Pshiva. Uh, this one, I think, could go many ways. It is possible that Pedro Martinez, especially after winning that indoor challenger at the end of last year, just comes out and destroys everyone. It is possible, I think. He, he made the third round in Australia a couple years back as well, I think lost to Medvedev. Um, Oliver Crawford, he actually changed his nationality to British now, which is pretty interesting. I wonder how he's going to do as well. Uh, not that the nationality change will impact his results already. Um, Calvin Emery, maybe. But anyway, this is the one where I decided to go for something bold, and I went with Filip Sekulic. I've been waiting for a breakthrough of his fantastic forehand. He's shown it sometimes, even at the highest stages last year, when he played Musetti, for example, in, in the Asian swing. I think this is just doable enough, that section, that if Sekulic plays very well, he could qualify. But I know this is a bold pick. Like I, I don't expect many people to follow me here. <laughs> when it comes to the seventh section, we've got Alexander Kovacevic playing Gofie Unklen. Then Denis Yevseyev plays Vitali Sachko. Tristan Skulkate faces Shoshi Mapukuro. Nicolas Moreno de Alboran against Shintaro Mochizuki. Very good section. I decided just to go with the Kovacevic upside. He disappointed at the Australian Open last year. I hope this isn't going to be a repeat. The draw is pretty tough because this section is like very um, sort of middle of the road kinda, and that besides Kovacevic, you don't have like some of the best players of the qualifying. But everyone is strong. Like it's hard to find a weak point in this in this section, and and that makes it a very tough one to get out of because you're not gonna get an easy match. You're never getting an easy match here. Skullcade, I think, is probably the most dangerous Australian wildcard as well. If Moreno Dalboran fully capable of qualifying, yes, yeah, if Sachko, Onklem, yeah, I mean, all of these guys are strong. But I'm going with Kovacevic. I sort of cannot sleep on his upside here. 
The eighth section, we've got David Goffin facing Stefano Travaglia, then Billy Harris or Dimitar Kuzmanov, Pierre Gerber against Ronald Andres Buruchaga and Pablo Yamas Ruiz over Gabriel Diallo. I think without further ado, this is pretty clear that Goffin and Diallo are the two candidates here. Diallo did very well in Canberra. As I said, I picked him. He made the semis. He lost to Kepfer, but I was fully satisfied with how he played. I think this might be a pretty big season for for him. Uh, I sort of let Graskin speak to me, speak out to me when I when we had that most recent episode, and, and uh, yeah, I sort of started appreciating Diallo even more, maybe. Although I was already pretty high on him. And uh, Goffin, why not Goffin? Honestly, it's fairly random. I think Goffin just has a couple of tougher rounds at the beginning. Travaglia instead of Yamas Ruiz, mm, debatable. But then Billy Harris, if Billy Harris is still playing as well as he was in 2023, I think that's tougher for Goffin. So that's why I'm choosing Diallo here. Ninth section, we have Hugo Delian playing Goncalo Oliveira, then Arol Mayo playing Andrea Colarini. Loron Locoli against Federico Gallo, and that's uh, aforementioned Menchik Nakashima rematch. Uh, I think Mayo this time won't be complaining because he's playing Colarini and then Terian or Oliveira. So, like, you know, third round, he really should be making it. It's his fault if he doesn't. And let's be honest, it's just about Menchik Nakashima. It's just about Menchik Nakashima. And I ended up going with Brandon Nakashima. I don't know. I mean, if they play twice, let's just say it's one one all against them. Let's just say Menchik maybe isn't ready to perform at the Grand Slam stage yet. I, I, I know he he went so deep at the US Open, so this is a, really a moot argument. But I just think it's a 50-50. And whoever wins this match very likely qualifies. Let's go with Brandon just to be sort of like, Menchik won last week, let's go with Brandon. But this is super, super close. 10th section, Hamad Medjedovic faces Marco Cecchinato. I think Cecchinato also coming back after a while. Abdullah Shelby against Tituan Droge. Daibor Sucina plays Omar Jasika. And Alexander Blocks against Zachary Spida. Alexander Blocks with a wildcard, of course, thanks to his junior title from last year. And I have to say that match against Spida already looks beautiful. But I'm going to go with Hamad Medjedovic. That's pretty obvious, right? I mean, Cecchinato is a free win into the second round. Then he can play Shelbach, with this match actually happened in the at the next finals. I would back Medjedovic to get through that again. Uh, then he would play Blocks, or, for example, or Sfaida. That's very exciting, but still, Medjedovic is the favorite in all of these matches. Although Blocks beat him in Antwerp qualifying, that is pretty worth to... Uh, that is, it's worth pointing that out. I don't know if Blocks beats Sfaida, so um, yeah, that might also not be relevant. 11th section, we've got Diego Schwartzman playing Denis Kudla, then Marco Trujeriti or Lucas Klein. Ivan Gakov play, faces Rudolf Molecker, and then Stefano Napolitano against Radu Albot. By the way, second round between Klein and Schwartzman, that's a match that we've already seen somewhere, right? Or am I, am I actually um, misremembering something? But Klein-Schwartzman, that seems like a match that I have watched. Oh, okay, maybe that was two years ago, or oh, three years ago. So no, maybe maybe that was a, a longer while ago than I thought. Uh, but anyway, uh, when it comes to Schwartzman, uh, yeah, I don't really trust him right now. Dennis Kudla, he might beat him, but also Kudla, of course, is not any strongest. Klein, actually, after Brisbane or wherever he played, yeah, Brisbane, right? After Brisbane, where he qualified, he lost to Arnaldi in the second round, but he was playing very, very well, and it was such a good start to the season, especially considering he had a tough qualifying throw. I really like his chances here. I know he's playing at Ombre Quali in the opening round, uh, Marco, Marco Trujeliti. 
But at this point in time, I have to consider him the favorite. And I think uh, Lucas Klein, yeah, Lucas Klein is definitely my pick. I think he probably will be picked by a lot of people here, mostly because of Brisbane. But um, it also is the fact that the rest of the section isn't that strong. Like, there's no one really that stands out. Radu Albot, we all know, is super solid, but he has issues sort of going above his level. Ivan Gakov, Rudolf Molecker. Hmm. Did I, did I, by the way, even mention the whole draw? I don't, I don't think so. Diego Schwartzman, Denis Kudla, Marco Trujaliti, Lukas Klein, Ivan Gakov, Rudolf Molecker, Stefano Napolitano, Radu Albot. So, yeah, for me, it's a clear climb pick. Uh, 12 section, we've got Benoit Per playing Jules Marie, and then Alexander Richard or Clement Tabour. Uh, Damir Junghur faces Timofei Skatov, and then Pablo Cuevas, with a projected ranking, plays Giulio Zapieri. I was thinking of a few players here. I think mostly Per. Uh, Junkur and Zapieri. Skatov has qualified for Australia in the past, but his form has been... Jesus, I mean, it's been absolutely abysmal. So I cannot really go for that. Um, but my first instinct was Zapieri, just because I thought, okay, so he plays Cuevas, Cuevas probably isn't going to be fit. Then he has Junkur or Skatov, that's easy. But then I figured, maybe Junkur isn't actually that easy. And I ended up picking Junkur. He's also a veteran who has shown it many times at the Grand Slam Quali stage. And I think he might just do it again. Why not Benoit Per? Because I just don't trust him. Uh, I just think Per will have a match where he just throws away a set or two for absolutely no reason. That's a pretty common, like, that that, 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 that hypothesis is pretty easy to understand, right? <laughs> then the 13th section, we've got Luca Nardi playing Francesco Maestrelli and Matteo Gigante ordained Sweeney. Also, Joris Delor, Litu, and Zdenek Kolarz Zizubergs. This from the get-go, this is a clear Nardi against Bergs section for me. The only problem is that Nardi lost to Marinkov and Bergs won four games against Jan Hoinski in Hong Kong. So I don't know how these guys are going to play. Like they, they had an awful start to 2024, both of them. So I guess in the end, it's just a matter of who you trust more that he will reach the third round. I kind of don't trust either at the moment because of these first two performances. I ended up going with Bergs, you know why? because he also had an awful start to 2023, and then he qualified in pretty good fashion for the Australian Open. So I'm sort of banking on him to do it again. I have no clue if he's going to be able to pull it off, but why not? I think we are arriving in the 14th section, which is actually probably the closest that any of these get. Like, the, the number number two was pretty cool, was pretty open as well, but this one, I just had no clue who I'm going to pick. So you've got Alex Morton playing Hies Brauer, Alejandro, Alessandro Gianessi against John Milman, Franco Gamenone against Edward Winter, Jeffrey Blancano against Sumit Nagal. Brower is a pretty natural selection. He went to the semis in Numea, but he's playing Morton in round one. And I just ended up going with something crazy, which is John Milman, who is ending his career after this Australian summer. So why not a strong farewell run? Do you guys think it's possible? I, I think it might be. And um, what also convinced me was the fact that he looked very solid at the US Open, which is actually also the last time he played. Is he going to be like, you know, practicing a ton ahead of his final appearances? I, I hope so. That, that's what I banked on. He is playing Janessi on hard courts at first. It's a very open section. So if Milman is like even at 85% of his usual hard court game, I think he should get it. So it could happen. I don't know if it will, but it could. At 15th section, it's also a pretty tough one. Juan Manuel Serundolo plays Terence Atmane, then Ilya Marchenko, Nerman Fatic, Josef Kovalik, Mattia Bellucci, Emilio Nava, Luciano Darderi. 
Bellucci qualified last year and looked really good in Australia, and I would have picked him if it wasn't for the fact that he retired in Nontaburi to Mark Layal, and I got scared of that. Nava Darderi, I don't want to get into that. I know Darderi isn't that strong on clay, uh, of clay maybe, that's what I should say, but Nava also exactly isn't the most consistent player in the world. Like, he can lose to anyone when he has a poor day in the office. So, I ended up going with Tennis at Mane. I just think we can count on him beating Juanma, probably, on the Melbourne courts. Marchenko Fatic, that's not too scary. And, you know, by then he's in the third round. Anything, anything can happen. So that's why I'm going with Tennis at Mane. And the 16th section is Thiago Agustin Tirante, Kimer Kopejans, Otto Virtanen, Andrea Vavasori, Tumblin Wu, Mate Valkus, Yuta Shimizu, Francisco Comesania. Again, bottom half of this, pretty weak. Comesania, Shimizu, Tumblin Wu, Mate Valkus. Like, some of these players have a very high peak, like Wu and Valkus, and some of these players are just very solid. But Comesania on hard courts, he's like, you know, still a bit mediocre. So I'm looking at the higher peaks more. And uh, Otto Virtanen just seemed like the best option to me. I know he lost a very quick match to Hisler in Hong Kong qualies. I don't know if something happened to him there or not. Um, I know he hasn't done much at the ATP level or like uh, the tour at, uh, as a whole since the Davis Cup performances. But I think I kind of have to go for him here. I mean, if there's a going to be a chance to return to form, this is as good as any other opportunity. So, yeah, Otto Viltanen here. It's a bit of a brave pick given how he looked recently. But then again, if you just look at the names in the section, I think he's pretty clearly the one with the most hardcore potential at the moment. I don't know if we can really match anyone. Yeah, yeah, he's the one with the most hardcore potential, simply. Like, the, no, no need to add at the moment. Anyway, that's going to be it for today. That was the first, like, proper episode. I see we are going for about 70 minutes now, so this will be a perfect uh, perfect moment to stop it as well. And, uh, yeah, in, in a week, in, in, uh, in a week, I'm going to be back to discuss Nontaburi, Oeiras, and, um, yeah, the Challenger 50 that I'm forgetting right now. Oh, Buenos Aires, of course, the one where I picked Joao Fonseca. Let's LFG, LFG, LFG. And um, yeah, uh, then of, co- of course I will also get back to my Australian Open qualifying predictions, regardless of how poor they are going to be. Last year I remember that everyone did horribly, but Jakub. Jakub had like 4 out of 16 for some reason. And I've seen him had, have like 1 out of 16 in much easier qualifying you know, scenarios, much easier qualifying sets. But everyone did poorly. I've even seen scores like 0 from some people who actually know their stuff as well. And then Jakob goes for out of 16. I don't know how he did it last year. I remember there were some wild peaks, like he, he literally had Locoli or something like that. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's going to be it for today. Um, and uh, yeah, see you in a week's time to talk about these challengers and the Australian Open qualifying, of course.